looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and we've gone verse by verse through the text, uh, verse 18 through 33, and, uh, and actually we, we stopped just before verse 33, and tonight we're going to use verse 33 as a springboard to jump into 1 Peter chapter 3, if you guys don't mind. Um, uh, you know, we've took about five weeks for the women on submission. We took about three weeks for the men on, um, on uh, their headship, but more importantly, their emulation of Christ and how he loves his bride. And I uh, wasn't trying to play favorites or anything just for the sake of time. This is how things are going. So, um, so tonight we're going to kind of wrap up the husband-wife section in a little tiny review, but not much. It's actually going to be new ground because it's going to be how Peter has explained it to us. But there in Ephesians 5.33, it says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So kind of the sum of all things to a husband and wife there in verse 33, uh, the roles summed up, the functions summed up for the wife and for the husband. And that is uh, not even so much headship or leadership for husbands. That is an aspect of it. But the main force behind um, the, the words of Paul is a love for the wife, a sacrificial uh, love for the wife and the wife, uh, a submission, a respect for her husband. So let's use that to uh, springboard into First Peter chapter three um, and just get Peter's text uh, take on uh, the, the marriage relationship. Uh, tonight is entitled Marriage God's Way. Marriage God's Way. First Peter 3, 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging of the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So here we are in 1 Peter chapter 3, six verses to the wives, one verse to the husbands. Don't you just love going verse by verse through the text? I mean, it, oh, I'm, okay. Um, so uh, something that we glean from this chapter uh, is that our, if our Christianity doesn't work at home, uh, our Christianity doesn't work at all. If you, not just this chapter, but the sum of First Peter, Christians are beginning to be persecuted for the sake of the gospel, and their lives at home really uh, pour into their relationships out into the world, in their workplace, in the social sphere, uh, in their uh, friendships outside of that. And so, um, such as we've been learning in the book of Romans, and we, since we've been in chapter 
uh, 12. Uh, we've learned it in uh, Colossians chapter 3, uh, and just looking at that, and we've looked at Ephesians, and we went back to chapter 4, where each one of those chapters is that hinge we've spoken of, where the doctrinal indicative, those things that are indicated by the truth of doctrine, the truth of God, now hinge and swing to practical outpouring, what's called the imperative um, the imperative things that will flow out of our lives. Since we have the indicative, now we'll be doing the imperative. But it's because of the indicative, because of the doctrine, because of what Jesus has done, we will be living out these things uh, in, in the practical chapters of Scripture. Um, and so here we have one of those uh, chapters here. Um, we know, no doubt, society's turned its back on the Word of God. Uh, there's very little room for instruction from the scripture for day-to-day -day life. Um, you know, uh, Lindsay and I are taking a class right now with many um, people that are not Christians. And uh, as people try to figure out why things are so depraved and why things are the way they are, um, we like to try to throw scripture into it and confront worldview with uh, biblical worldview. And that uh, doesn't always go over so well. As uh, I spoke up at uh, our class last night uh, when the question was asked, why do kids act out or, or how can we, um, you know, address behavior and things like that? And I said, well, you know, uh, it's a sin issue, essentially, is what I said. And uh, <clears throat> didn't go over real well with the instructor in front of some 30 people or something like that. But, you know, we, we bring, you know, and we're in a classroom in a, in a church with Bible verses all over and sin entered the world after creation and all of that stuff. And I'm like, let's just, you know, Lindsay leans over, let's just look at the wall around us to see why kids are behaving this way or why parents are behaving this way. Uh, it's because of sin, but Jesus didn't leave us as sinners. He brought his son into the, uh, or he is the son. He came into the world to take that sin upon himself uh, so we can be forgiven and now have power to live out what he created us to be. Um, and so, but the world doesn't like that. They've got their own ideas on things, and those things fall certainly short. Clear back in 1973, Carl Rogers wrote a book called Alternatives to Marriage, uh, and he said this, Once society has turned its back on a divine mandate for life, it's left to go other directions, and he describes a few of them. Living together without marriage, living in communes, not really so common anymore, but some of you might have remembered that from the 70s. Um, Extensive child care centers, serial monogamy, uh, one divorce after another is what that speaks of. The women's liberation movement to establish women as a person in her own right. New divorce laws that do away with the concept of guilt. These are all gropings towards some new form of man-woman relationship for the future. And that was clear back in 1973. Now we're in 2012. And uh, as Lindsay and I found... Um, in our class last night, you know, with the lesbian couple sitting behind us, rubbing each other's back and kissing each other's neck, uh, literally happening there, uh, trying to adopt children, we see, you know, that the world has gone in a downhill spiral um, away from a biblical view on marriage and family. No big surprise for us. I know you guys. I know it's big, no big surprise, but uh, it, and it shouldn't be specifically because of what 
Paul tells us, or tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, that know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Um, and so what we see is our society being corrupted. And the sad thing is, is that that corruption within society is nearly equally matched by confusion within the church. Um, you know, people in our class, and I keep bringing that up because it's, it's a time relevant to us today where you're in the midst of the world, you're in the midst of some Christians that are there, and there's really no, there's, you know, there's no difference between people that call themselves Christians and people that say that, you know, they're atheists. Um, we're all tending to drift towards the same worldview on things, and that just shouldn't be. You know, it, it's sad when the world presents a legalistic, works-based approach to handling problems, but it's very fearful and tragic uh, and terrifying when that's evident within the church. And when that's evident in marriage counseling, and when that's evident in family counseling. Um, and so as we read this 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, uh, the devil comes to us with the same approach he came to Eve, where he calls into question if God really said these things. Did God really say these things, Eve? Uh, and he challenges that. Did God really say for wives to submit to their husbands? Did God really say for husbands to dwell with their wives or their prayers would be hindered? Did God really say that? Come on. This is not at all the direction that society is going. So get real, people. Snap out of it. You know, you're like living in the Middle Ages right now. Where's Joan of Arc, you know? Uh, and, uh, and if God has said it, then did he mean it that way is the other question. Uh, so I really encourage you guys to get a handle on w the word of God as our authority, to go back from two years ago and to listen to the doctrine series and listen to the scriptures that we studied dealing with the inspiration and inerrancy of scripture and the canonization of scripture so that we know why it is our authority and why we can die defending what God has said in it and why we can die and lay our lives down as wives submitting to our husbands even when the world makes fun of you and thinks, you know, that you're just a total idiot, uh, or, or husbands, that you should love your wives and lay your life down sacrificially for her, rather than vice versa. Um, and so just getting into the text, uh, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of of their wives. Now, uh, we studied this in about week three of submission, where uh, this word likewise is given to the wives. And so you got to ask yourself, like what? Be submissive like what? And so you just, you know, 2020 vision is great for seeing the context of things. Go back 20 verses, go forward 20 verses. That'll help give you a context of, of what's going on. And so if we do just go back a few verses to chapter two of First Peter, Verses 18 through 25, it says to servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh, for this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? 
But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So, wives, likewise, be submissive to your husbands. Like what? Like the slave that's beaten, uh, who is, uh, who is honoring to his master, as Peter says. It's commendable towards God to endure grief, even if you're suffering wrongfully. I'm not saying that wives, if you're getting beaten by your husband, that you should just take it. What I am saying is Christ has left us an example. And Peter tells us there in chapter two, that even when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. Uh, Even when he suffered, he didn't threaten, but rather he committed himself to God. He was obedient to the Lord. And so there is that level of submission for the wives that even if your husband is not worthy of respect, you respect him because the word tells you to. uh, You uh, are respectful and submissive because the word tells you. And, And you have Jesus that can be recalled at any moment of the day as the picture, as the motivation, and as the power behind uh, submission. As we've studied, where does this zealous willingness to yield come from? Uh, In this series of Gospel Family, we found this power comes from the gospel itself, from the Spirit informing us of what Jesus has done and accomplished, and from the Spirit empowering us uh, to uh, fulfill these roles that he's called us to. Uh, In the New Living Translation, the wives are exhorted this way in 1 Peter 3.1 says, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. And, uh, and we've studied in this accepting of the authority, in this submission, that there is mutuality within submission. In your minds, by now, we've gone through it enough, that your mind should go to verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5, where it says we're to submit to one another in love. So there is mutual submission. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, it says, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her. This is speaking of sexual affection. And likewise also the wife to her husband. So do you guys see the mutuality, the reciprocal submission there? The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Oh, what the? Hey, hold on. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, uh, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So mutuality of submission, yes, but that doesn't mean there isn't submission within role or function. If you look at 1 Corinthians eleven three. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. 
The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. These roles and orders are laid out in 1 Corinthians 11, but we see within the Trinity there is submission, even though Father, Son, Holy Spirit are equal in power and eternity, there is different in role and function. And I hope that you've gotten that by this point. That's just all a little bit of review. You'll remember that submission doesn't mean that you gals are just to be like servants in bondage, uh, like a slave. That is not what the New Testament speaks of. Um, but it speaks of a voluntary submission to the self-sacrificing love of your husband. Um, so, a lot of review here, but uh, one thing in this submission of wives, as it's been said, a respectful wife has a head of respect. And this speaks of how you think about your husband. Uh, a, a respectful wife has a heart of respect. How do you feel about your husband? And what do you say about your husband? And then finally, a respectful wife has hands of respect. What do you do for your husband? When you look at this word respect from Ephesians 5.33 that we springboarded off of, it means to notice your husband, to regard your husband, to honor and prefer, to defer to, to encourage, to love, and to admire your husband. And that is to be done in your head, how you think about him, in your heart, how you feel about him, what you say about him, and in your hands, what you do for him. So, in this first little aspect, we want to pull even this phrase apart that's, that's derived from multiple verses. Uh, we want to look at this head of respect, how you think about your husband. Um, how do you think about your husband, gals? Lauren, it's just fun to look at you out there. Two and a half months now. <laughs> Go ahead, share something. No kidding. How, how do you think about your husband? Gail, how long has it been? 41. 41 years. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Wasn't it this week you guys were supposed to bring your marriage pictures? You guys failed radically. I'll have to put out a reminder next week. Just for fun. Just for fun. Um, how do you think about your husband? What's this head of respect like in, in your mind? Do you think about him in a respectful way or a disrespectful way? Uh, some of you gals might say, well, I never say disrespectful things about my husband, but it's amazing that even if you think disrespectful things about your husband, it's going to come out in the look on your face and your actions towards him. And as we've learned in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, a big part of our transformation takes place in the mind. There needs to be a renewing in, in the mind. And for you gals, there needs to be a mind of respect placed there by the Holy Spirit through the word of God. But the way you think will affect how you act and how you feel toward your husband. Uh, many wives, and I have heard it in my pre-marriage counseling, think that he's an idiot, that I could have done a lot better. I'm smarter than him. And a lot of times you're, tr you're right. Um, I'm more godly. Uh, you know, if I were the head of the household, I would be better at it. Uh, if he would just do what I tell him to do, he would be a better leader. Uh, he's not very impressive. He can't do very many pull-ups. If I had to do it all over again, I'd probably pick somebody else. 
You know, he can't keep up with me intellectually. He's not as smart. He's not as nice. He's not as fun. He's not as dependable. He's not as hardworking as me. I deserve better. He's the lesser. That is many women, even in our church's heart, about their husbands, perhaps you in this room. So is that how you think about him? How do you think about your husband? Are you like the Philippians 2 person who thinks about things that are true, things that are noble? Uh, uh, That's Philippians 4, actually, verses 8 and 9, uh, where Paul says, whatever is true, whatever things are noble, just, pure, lovely, things that are of good report, things that are virtuous, things that are praiseworthy. Meditate on these things. That even goes for your husband, gals. Are you thinking on those types of things? Uh, Grace Driscoll, Mark Driscoll's wife, wrote a portion of a book along with her husband. And she writes in um, Real Marriage, a new book out by them, a great recommendation for wives is that you would keep a journal. She says, I'm going to give you ladies some really practical things to do. Keep a journal. You can keep it on your phone. You can keep it in your notebook. You can keep it somewhere separate. Um, And as you think about your husband... Use these words, things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Write them down, and then at that moment, pray and say, thank you, Lord, that I am seeing this in my husband. Write it down. Be active in your head. Be active in your thought life, in your respect, in your mind towards your husband. And then once you've written those things down, encourage your husband. Send him a text message in the day. Write him a note. You know, I, you know I've noticed that you're always the one that gets the garbage ready and puts it out on the, on the road on you know, Wednesday morning or something. I'm very thankful for that. Uh, things like that. And a lot of gals will say, I don't have much to be thankful for. I don't have a lot to respect him. I can't think of much. And this is where you need to think of anything because you need to be obedient to the word. This is what the word is calling you to do. And so sometimes it takes effort by the power of the Holy Spirit. You rely on him. You ask him, Lord, bring things to my mind, anything, the littlest thing. But respect your husband. And even as you take these little things and and just encourage him, there's so much in building him up. Wives are such a powerful tool in their husband's life. Right, guys? I mean, isn't it just amazing when your wife encourages you, writes you that note, sends you that text message? Um, Man, there is just so much motivation behind that. There's so much uh, encouragement uh, behind that. But so many wives just pick out faults and failures and flaws, uh, and the husband feels like he's living with uh, his worst critic or, or you know, his mom telling him to clean up his room or something uh, rather than his wife and his lover, his helpmate. Uh, and so you may not be able to change your husband, but you can encourage him. Uh, speak words of life to him, words of life to him rather than words of discouragement. Um, It puts courage in the husband. It puts dignity in the husband. So the head of respect, how do you think about him? It will lead to a heart of respect. How do you speak about your husband? Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if there's disrespect in your head, it's going to come out of your mouth. It's going to show what resides in your heart. And it all comes out in your speech. 
And so gals, it's important that you're regularly praying for your husband, that God transforms your mind to have a heart and a a mind of respect and a voice of respect about your husband's Um, good uh, rebuke to wives uh, from Mark Driscoll to just quote him so he gets in trouble and not me. The truth is you won't speak about your husband's to the Lord the way you speak to your worst friend. The angry, gossiping, busybody, bitter brigade, sometimes called the women's prayer circle. We all pray for each other. No, you don't. You disrespect your husband, call it prayer requests, so it seems holy while Satan is dancing. You should be praying more for your husband than you should be talking about your husband. Gossip is talking about someone instead of to someone. If you are talking to others, particularly women, instead of to your husband, you are guilty of gossip. If you are allowing them to talk negatively about their husbands, you are not encouraging them, serving them, helping them. You are joining them in sin. It's just a good word of correction uh, to what often happens uh, in a women's prayer meeting. Uh, So what do you say about your husband in his presence to his face? What do you say about him in his absence? Uh, These are all ways that show the world uh, if you're really obedient to the Lord Uh, And if your heart has really been given over to him in submission to your husband and in submission to the Lord, Um, this respect comes uh, in both your silence and your verbal outpourings. Uh, It's possible to be uh, silent and compliant with your husband, um, but not be respectful of him. And how's that possible? It's because you fear him more than you fear God. And it's just as respectful for you to speak up and to tell your husband he's wrong or he's in sin. Um, That's respectful. That's loving. That's part of being the body of Christ. That's part of being a sister to him in the Lord. It's okay to be vocal. So silent compliance isn't always the type of submission and respect that we see in the scripture. Jesus himself uh, is the example of that. Um, In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was very vocal about, you know, some possible outcomes to this situation down here on earth. Maybe not the cross, you know, I'm just throwing this out there. Uh, Please, Lord, if it's possible, sweating drops of blood um, in a a great communication of stress. He's submissive, but he's passionate. He's submissive, but he's vocal. Um, Just not always silent, passive, uh, and without opinion. Um, You know, he, he spoke, but... Eventually, what did he say? Not my will, but your will be done. Ed Welch wrote this. Fear in the biblical sense is to be afraid of someone. In this case, she's afraid of her husband, his displeasure, his frustration, his discouragement, but extends to holding someone in awe. He's way too big and Jesus is way too small. Being controlled or mastered by people. I just do what he says. Fear is when we replace God with people. Instead of a biblically guided fear of the Lord, we fear others. In our teens, it's called peer pressure. When we're older, it's called people pleasing. A newer term is codependence, or I would like to add in an unhealthy marriage, enabling. So enabling is not submitting. Submitting is when the husband is submitted to the Lord and you are submitted to the husband, helping the husband honor the Lord. Enabling is when the husband is not submitted to the Lord, you are still submitting to him and enabling him to do things that are contrary to the Lord, dishonoring the Lord. 
That is not the biblical submission of Ephesians 5 or 1 Peter chapter 3 that's enabling your husband to sin. And so uh, submission and enabling, not the same thing. And so here's this call for wives to submit. Even if some of your husbands don't obey the word, they without a word would be won by the conduct of their wives. This is a submission even if the husband isn't saved. This is the biggest change you need to see in your husbands if this is you, his eternal salvation. It's been said that this is a wife who preaches wordless sermons to her unbelieving husband. Now, a few different scenarios here. Perhaps they were both not saved when they got married and then the wife got saved. Husband hasn't been born again yet. Or perhaps they were both saved and he is backslidden and is walking in unbelief. Uh, perhaps he was never saved, but was like Judas uh, and, and uh, you know, just had the outward appearance, but never the regenerate heart. And so the wordless sermons of actions and submission can be a great preaching to the husband. Uh, on the other hand, you have some amazing Proverbs that speak to these uh, Peter texts. Proverbs eleven twenty two: a beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. And so, you know, you've got the first Peter three woman, and then you've got the Proverbs eleven twenty two woman. You know, and, and so it's just a good word to women that when you want to be heard, watch your conduct, watch your tone, take good uh, instruction from Peter to wives here about wordless sermons. You know, so often the very thing that uh, wives want to see changed in their husband, they hinder that change through this lack of discretion in the way that they speak to their husband. Um, Proverbs 14.1, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. So this is a strong witness to without a word or not a word to the gals. The stuff you're saying can oftentimes not help but rather hurt. You're not building a house, but you're tearing it down with your hands. Or Proverbs 9.13, a foolish woman who is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. Clamorous, it, it speaks of a noise, like pots and pans being banged together. Uh, and it's, there's simplicity and, and a, almost a dumbness to it, that she doesn't know how to fix her husband. And so she's just like pots and pans. You know, it's not helpful. It's not helpful for your husband who's not obeying right now. And perhaps that not obeying is that he's not loving you like Jesus loves you. So what do you do? Well, you, you don't want to be clamorous for one thing. Proverbs 21, 9, is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop or an attic than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And then a few verses later, 10 verses later in Proverbs 21, 19, it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with the contentious and angry woman. So it's almost like the writer is saying, if you can still hear her in the attic, it's time to move out to cactus country. You know, that's how bad it can be sometimes for the, the clamorous wife, a contentious and angry woman. But then you have the Proverbs 12 woman who I love to reference in weddings who's an excellent wife, the crown of her husband. But she who causes shame brings rottenness to his bones. 
And so just a good word, you know, the husbands will have correction tonight as well, but good correction for the wife. The Holy Spirit shows you perhaps clamor uh, in you, uh, in your attitude, in your voice towards your husband. Um, so often, you know, you could shame your husband. You could burn down the home that you're actually trying to build. Um, nagging and neglect so often go back and forth. And, and as you look at Genesis chapter 3, part of the fall is that there's, one, there's this control, this desire in the wife or the husband. So uh, without a word, without a word, gals, it's, it's important. Let the conduct speak. Uh, in, in submission. Now, there's a great question that can be asked right now. Can, an, can I be outgoing? Can I be fun? Can I be noisy in my fun, outgoing, boisterous perhaps might be the word, and still be uh, uh, submissive and have a quiet spirit? And I think the answer is yes to that. It's a, you know, I don't think the word is telling you to shut your stinking pie hole. You know, that's not at all what the word is saying. S-Y-S-P-H in texting lingo. Um, but what the Lord is saying is um, to, to, be, to beware of clamor. To not be that foolish woman who is clamorous, uh, offensively loud, and given to vehement outcry. John Piper says, Peter wants the Christian women to win their husbands by a life of reverence and purity expressed in a submissive attitude that honors him as the head of the home. And he warns them not to preach at him that they may be one without a word. Let me speak the amplified version to you. And I may have this there in the slides. Uh, the amplified version of this verse says, in like manner, you married women. Be submissive to your own husbands, subordinate yourselves as being secondary to and dependent on them and adapt yourselves to them so that even if any do not obey the word of God, they may be won over not by discussion, but by the godly lives of their wives. Amazing how powerful that is. And there's going to be something spoken. I know many of you wives, uh, and you may not even be thinking of your own situation, or maybe you're just thinking, and you're just thinking that, that can't be true. There has to be words spoken. There has to be preaching at him. It can't be true. He's going to speak to that by the time we get to verse 6. He's going to speak to that, and he's going to use Sarah as an example. But these men, verse 2 tells us, they will observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. They will inspect this innocent, modest behavior that is full of reverence. I like the Amplified version again. I got on an Amplified kick today. Sorry. Uh, and I'll read it to you. I think this might be the one that we have the slide for. Uh, it says, when they observe the pure and modest way in which you conduct yourselves together with your reverence for your husband, you are to feel for him all that reverence includes, to respect, defer to, revere him, revere him, to honor, esteem, appreciate, prize, and in the human sense to adore him, that is to admire, praise, be devoted to, deeply love, and enjoy your husband. Whew. When they see that, man, the Lord will move in their hearts. The Lord through you will be moving in their hearts. And so verse three, so don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. 
Now, it's good to note the word here. It's kind of a key word. It's the word merely. <laughs> you know, it, this verse isn't speaking to, um, you know, either shave your hair or, you know, just uh, not care at all about your physical appearance. But it speaks to not letting your crowning feature or your beauty, gals, be only external. To let it be just an external mark through uh, your accessories that you wear, the way that you dress yourself up. It shouldn't be the beautiful thing about you, okay? It's good to take care of your body. It's good to dress for your husband. It's better to dress for your Lord and to glorify him in the way that you accessorize, you know, the handbag that you carry or the scarf that you wear, uh, the earrings that you, you know, but it's all to be for the glory of the Lord. But don't let that be the beautiful thing about you, those external things. Rather, verse 4, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. To quote Piper, what I think Peter's doing is giving married women another warning about how not to win their husbands. Namely, don't think that you can win him with trendy hairstyles or a better tan or delicate jewelry or clinging robes. You might in this way attract him to the bedroom, but probably not to God. If you want to win him to God, your adornment is going to have to be a new woman within. The world can teach you how to win a man to yourself, but only the scripture can teach you how to win him to God. You know, it's encouraging to look around and see some of you wives with a man who loves Jesus. And, and I think that part of this whole series is just equipping us to be out in our flock and to be out in life-on-life relationship. And when the people start struggling and the people come with these concerns, you're able to speak to them. You know, we're able to speak to wives about this area um, and how for those uh, wives with unbelieving or disobedient husbands, how they can win their husband to God. Um, the wife's responsibility is not to make sure he hears what she believes, but that he sees how she believes. That's what Peter is getting at here. It's very important. Um, let it be this incorruptible beauty of this inner woman. Jesus isn't saying, you know, don't have, uh, a, don't be a beautiful woman, but that's going to perish. That will perish one day. But that inner beauty, that, that quiet spirit, it's very precious in the sight of the Lord. Quiet spirit speaks of properly keeping one's seat to be undisturbing. And it's very precious in the sight of the Lord. It's better than any jewel or accessory that you can wear. The Lord loves inner loveliness. And that's the predominant emphasis that Peter has here. John Stott says this, There's all the difference in the world between making yourself deliberately attractive and making yourself deliberately seductive. You women know the difference, and so do we men. Good word there. So in verse 2, we have the cover girl laid out, right? Uh, in verses 2 through 4 here, kind of the cover girl is spoken to. But here we have a model. There's a difference. 
In verse 6, 5 and 6, we have a model rather than a cover girl. In verse 5, in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves. They were models, but it was because they were being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. And so what verse 6 says is look to the models that you have, gals. They're in the word. They're in Ruth. They're in Naomi. They're in Esther. They're in Sarah. Look to the holy women of our day. Look to the Elizabeth Elliot and hear what she has to say and hear her instruction to you. Look to the women in our church uh, who are older. God's really been convicting us as elders in the church for, for neglecting the, you know, the gray heads in our church. Uh, and he, we've really been convicted to be utilizing their wisdom and to have the women who are older fulfill what t- uh, Titus 2 tells them to do, to instruct their husbands, or to instruct these women how to love their husbands, how to be good homemakers, how to be chaste um, in, in all of these areas, how to be a Sarah. The the older women and the spiritually mature women have so much to offer. And some of you gals are here tonight. And uh, we're excited for what you have to speak into um, our wives and and the women and the older men. We're excited for what you have for us as well. But, you know, read the Elizabeth Elliot biographies. There's an Elizabeth George book out on the shelf there in the library. There's full of uh, good books for you gals. Um, but we have Sarah as an example here. And basically Peter says, you want to know what this woman, this model looks like? Look at Sarah, the one who said, hey, Abraham, go have adultery so we can have kids too. That's the example that's laid out for you uh, gals. She's the mother of the nation of Israel. And the reason that she's mentioned isn't because she's perfect, but because she's imperfect. She's intriguing in that she laughed at God. But through the lens of faith, in Hebrews 11.11, we see Sarah herself also received strength to conceive. She bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Even though she laughed at the promise of God, the Lord looks at her and says, This is a woman of, of submission. She even called Abraham Lord while she was laughing at God. And that's what Peter quotes here. She called him Mr. in absolute respect. She called her husband Master, Sir, Mr. <laughs> and, and she's an example in that. Even when her husband was, you know, just a jerk, <laughs> looking out for number one, not looking out for the well-being of his wife, trying to protect and preserve himself from Pharaoh's sword or from, I think it was Abimelech's sword. And Peter tells you gals that you will be Sarah's daughters if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Two options for you as you read this to doing good and not being afraid. First of all, it's very obvious that you could be scoffed at for being obedient to the word in your secular workplaces that you're in, as you're sharing with your coworkers, your submissive heart for your husband and what God has called you to do, definitely you could be scoffed at for obedience to the Lord. You might as well go to work with some kind of funny Vikings helmet on or something like that because you're going to get the same reaction. Um, but the other thing here is to have 
terror and fear in the temptation to think that your life would be miserable if you do what the Bible tells you to do. When the Lord tells you in verses 1 and 2 to not be preachy at your husband, but to just be submissive and silent and reverent, and to not try to win him through even clothing or getting him to the bedroom, but to win him through your obedience to the Lord. You don't like that. You want to do it your way. And it's exactly the temptation that Eve was in in the garden, where she told the Lord, essentially, as she ate the apple, you're saying I can't trust anyone but myself. You know, you're saying I'm the smartest. I'm the wisest. I'm not going to do it your way, Lord. I'm going to do it my way. The Bible's not true. I'm doing it my way. Don't fall into that trap. Be Sarah's daughter. Do what's commanded and don't be afraid. Trust the word of God. You can trust the word. You can bank, you can go to the bank on it. Piper says, so women who hope in God are women who look away from the troubles and miseries and obstacles of life that seem to make the future bleak. And they focus their attention on the sovereign power and love of God who rules in heaven and does on earth whatever he pleases. Focus your attention on the sovereign power and love on God. Don't look at worst case scenarios. Don't look at bleak futures. But trust the Lord in what his word says. Don't be like Sarah, laughing at the Lord. All right, women. Gospel family series for you is over. You're done, okay? <laughs> Breathe out relief. Now we're going to move on to the men in the exhortation, verse 7. I know you guys are tired. I know you guys have worked hard. We've got 15 minutes left. Uh, and I encourage you to press in and, uh, and, and really hear what the Lord would have to say, especially you men right now. In verse 7, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And so we have a great command here to give honor, and to dwell with them. We're going to start out with this, dwelling with them with understanding. As Driscoll says in his book, men need to be a particular way so that those, who, the, so that those fears are alleviated. And let me just come back real quick. Uh, um, these fears, uh, if a woman marries a man, as you look at in verse 6b, second half of verse 6, if a woman marries a man, she's trusting him with the rest of her life. That, she won't, that he won't hit her, cheat on her, that he'll work hard, that he'll pay the bills, that he'll love the children, that he'll finish the race well, that he'll walk with Jesus till the end, that if she gets sick, he'll look after her, that if she's dying, he'll be faithful to her. Gentlemen, it's a terrifying thing for a woman to trust a sinful man. There's a big thing for a gal to trust us. And so... The command is given to us to dwell with her with understanding, to live a certain way that all of those fears would be alleviated in the wife. I have a friend um, and her dad left her when she was young, left the family. And so when she got married later on in life, she just was terrified that uh, her husband would leave her, just terrified. It was the worst fear. She, just, she had a very hard time resting um, in, in covenant because her dad had hurt her so bad. 
And so we husbands, you know, many of our wives have been in the same way. Dad's leaving them or even just the culture around us where, uh, you know, half of the church population is getting a divorce equal or greater to that of uh, the world divorce rate. So we need to live in a way where these feels are alleviated. We need to be real men living in an understanding way. And men, even if you're here tonight and you think that that's you, that you do live with your wife in an understanding way, I assure you, you haven't arrived yet. There's word for you tonight in in growth. And, you know, it's been like getting punched in the stomach every single time I've come to study for these Wednesday nights because I've realized how far I've fallen short. But there's grace. There's grace tonight for us before God's throne. There's many pitfalls to avoid in this dwelling with our wives with understanding. Men, you need to avoid harshness. You need to avoid thoughtlessness, selfishness. And really, selfishness is the only word that you need. It kind of covers all these other sins that, uh, that address uh, the husbands here. Alistair Begg said, when a husband treats his wife with harshness, his wife will begin to look around for someone to make her feel loved, valued, important, heard. This is not right, but it's a natural response, though sinful, to look around for care and compassion. We were talking as the elders last week that, you know, every time we come to fellowship with one another, we should expect to be corrected on some level. Every one of us. The Lord corrects those that he loves. If he doesn't love you, then you're illegitimate. You're not his child if, if you're not being corrected. And so you can expect every time you come to a sermon, every time you come to a core group, every time you come to a prayer meeting, on some level, you'll be sharpened, self will be chiseled away, and you'll be corrected. And that should be when we go to get coffee, guys, when girls, you go to hang out. I mean, just don't be afraid to speak the truth in love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so when you see me being harsh towards my wife or selfish towards my wife, correct me on it. I'll do the same for you. Wives, when you see another wife not submitting to her husband or not treating with respect or gossiping about him at the women's prayer meeting, you you call her out. You call her out. You'll be a true friend if you do. Research back in the 1970s in Belgium uh, asked women's to sh- uh, to sh- asked wives to share factors within their marriage that were stumbling blocks to healthy marriage. The top seven of these were that husbands had a lack of tenderness, a lack of courtesy and politeness. In other words, the politeness of the husband that he showed to his secretary or to his colleagues or to total strangers didn't at all equate to the politeness that he showed to his wife at home. <clears throat> husbands have a lack of sociability. <clears throat> you guys know me. I'm, I'm the clown um, out in public gatherings. You know, and so often when I come home, you know, the clown goes in the closet, you know, and I wipe the face, I wipe the, the white paint and the, the, take the foam nose off when I get home. You know, and, you know, the wife wants to be just as much a part of our social life as our friends are uh, or as the people around us. Uh, Husbands have a lack of understanding of the temperament and cycles and changes that are part and parcel of a woman's existence. It's important, guys. Dwell with your wives with understanding, understanding the hormones, understanding the temperament, understanding the cycles. There's a lack of fairness in financial matters. 
There's snide remarks and sneers that come out when you're in the midst of company. There's a lack of total honesty with one another. This is the seventh big thing that women's shared. Man, my husband's just not honest. I never know if I'm looking into his eyes if I'm getting a straight answer or not. And so something that sums all of this up is understanding, consideration. The Phillips translation says, you husbands should try to understand the wives that you live with, honoring them. Have understanding. The authorized version says that this dwelling is according to knowledge. Katagenosis in the Greek. <clears throat> you know, 90% of divorced people submitted uh, poll uh, responses that said, you know, as a wife, I was unprepared to re respond to a husband who was insensitive, unromantic, non-communicative, having an absence of sensitivity, an absence of meaningful romance in marriage. I was unprepared to never go on a date again since we've been married. Husbands, are you, dwell are you dwelling with your wives with understanding? Are you taking the time to get to know her? First of all, it's important that you're dwelling with her, that you're living in the same house with her. We're going to see the consequence at the end of verse 7 if you're not doing that. We're going to see the consequence at the end of verse 7 if you're not dwelling with her with this understanding, with this according to knowledge. You know, we thank you wives for your patience. <laughs> There's a bumper sticker that says, a husband is living proof that a woman can take a joke. And you gals, you have a great sense of humor. <laughs> and we really appreciate your patience. And may the Holy Spirit prompt us and push us men to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. Or as the NIV says, to be considerate as we dwell with our wives. To know what causes them to be anxious, to know what causes them to be afraid, to know what excites them, to know what they look forward to, to know what their temptations and their struggles are and what causes them to fall into sin. As the Phillips says, J.B. Phillips translation, similarly husbands, you should try to understand the wives you dwell with. You should try to understand them. 1 Peter 1.14 says that we're not to conform to the former lusts as in our ignorance. Back in the fallen condition state that we were in, we were ignorant about God, about who he was. Yes, that's true. But now we have a transformed mind. Now we have the new mind that we studied in Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Where husbands, we're not ignorant anymore and we don't operate according to lust, but we live according to knowledge. We live according to knowledge of, of uh, God's design for marriage. No longer having uh, a secular perspective on marriage. But an understanding of you know, who God has given us. And how he's empowered us to live. He's given us knowledge of the wonderful provision that he's made in marriage. And that our wife has been created to fill that need. For a helpmate and to fulfill that need of an accountability partner, to fulfill that need of, of someone who will help sanctify us and make us holy and vice versa. There's a knowledge now in the, in the, in the born again Christian man to the unique purpose of marriage. That marriage is to emulate and copy the relationship between Christ and the church. 
for the glory of God and it's for the purpose of sanctification. So husbands dwell with your wives with this understanding, with the understanding of everything that we've learned so far in the last 11 weeks of gospel family. Really, it's just been gospel marriage so far. Dwell with your wife with this understanding. Dwell with your wife with an understanding of what she goes through in her secular world as she tries to live out 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. How her friends comment to her about the stand that she's making for Jesus and the stand that she's making as a wife. If we're going to dwell with understanding with our wife, we need to know how to listen. It's been said that God has given us two ears and one mouth for a reason. So that we learn to hear more and to say less. Dwelling with knowledge, being sensitive to temperaments, moods, not taking our wives for granted, letting our wife feel secure in our affections. And you know what, guys? This is directed to us. And you know what that means? You are in control of that dimension of your marriage. It's directed to you. And so cry out for power of the Holy Spirit where you've fallen short in understanding your wife, in dwelling with her, in giving attention to her. All of this is because she's the weaker partner. And you need to emphasize the E-R at the end of the word weaker. Peter is not calling you ladies weak. He's calling you weaker. Perhaps in physical framework is what, you know, I can carry more bricks up a ladder than some of you gals. <laughs> some of you gals can carry more bricks up a ladder than me, okay? But physical framework and toughness, physically, but also it could be speaking to this call that you women have is a big call. This call to submission and the fallout that the world will give you in persecuting you. This weaker partner needs to have honor given to her. It means to treat her with respect, but really honor is the better word. It's more majestic and it's a richer word. We might respect the 55 mile an hour sign as we're driving on the highway, but we're not going to pull over and salute it every time we drive by or plant flowers around it in that type of honor. Husbands, dwell with your wives with this honor, this esteem to the highest degree is what it speaks of. Honor her maritally. Honor her physically. Those of you men that are physical towards your wife and hitting her, shoving her, punching her, raising your hand to threaten her, need to be rebuked. Is not a copy of Jesus. You need to honor her emotionally. You need to show her intimacy, which has been dubbed into me see. Honor her emotionally, honor her financially by providing for her, making a budget, tithing, saving, and investing well. Honor her practically, being, becoming organized. Honor her in the way that you're a father to your children. Esteem her to the highest degree. There's another word for this honor here, and it's used back in 1 Peter 2, 7, where it says, uh, for you who believe Jesus is precious, 
but to those who are disobedient, dot, dot, dot. Uh, it's the word precious. Is your wife precious to you? Treat your wife with preciousness. And I love that I get to preach this in the age after Lord of the Rings movie came out, you know, where you've got Schmeagles, you know, and he carries that ring around and he's just enamored by it. Perhaps idolatrous, but you know, and he's just like, my precious, my precious. And his eyes are sticking out and everything, my precious. And he's just stroking this ring. A little bit freaky, I know. But to your wife, do you just, you are precious to me. I had to live it out first, guys. I had to text my wife as I was studying today and say, you are precious to me. Know that you are precious. Let them know. In the words of the country music band Lone Star, tell her that you love her. Tell her that you need her. Tell her that you want her to stay. Reassure her with a kiss. She may never know unless you tell her that you love her. Husbands, do you tell her? Do you reassure her? You know, does she even know that you want her around, <laughs> that you want her to stay? Kind of on a country music kick, sorry. But the song of Garth Brooks comes to mind. Somewhere other than the night, she needs to hear I love you. Somewhere other than the night, she needs to know you care. She wants to know she's needed. She needs to be held tight somewhere other than the night. Guys, other than bedtime <laughs> and satisfaction that you want in that area. Man, what about throughout the rest of the week? Are you just loving her? Telling her she's precious? Are you pouring out sacrificial love to her? Have our wives... Had it known that apart from Christ, they're the single most important relationship that you have in, in this world. Have you treasured your wife? You know, precious means treasured. It means wanted, valued. It actually even means cute. <laughs> Honey, you are cute. You are precious. I want you. I treasure you. What are you willing to do for your wife? What are you called to do for your wife? You're not called to rule over her, command her, subject her to yourself or order your wife around. You are called in Ephesians 5 to love your wife. Do you love her? Do you treasure her? Do you let her know how precious she is? It says here, it's, be, it's you know, we're joint heirs in Christ. Physically different, but spiritually united. Are we, uh, we're joint heirs here. Uh, and, and there's this spiritual necessity here as we are uh, joint heirs and that our prayers would not be hindered. Heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be Hindered. I like what Alistair Begg said. Notice he doesn't say, so that you may have a happy family do these things. He says, isn't that interesting? There is an approach to family life, which is nothing more than idolatry. Oh, I can't worship. I can't come to this or I can't go to that. Why? I'm worshiping at the shrine of family. We're to pay attention to family. Of course we are. But it's to become a God before the only God that exists in the whole world? No. 
Don't let family become that God. And we had that exhortation us a while ago. The whole reason for the husband to dwell with his wife with understanding, it's so that there's nothing hindering prayers. As our domestic relationships have a profound impact on our spiritual relationship. There's a way to live that hinders our prayers. There's a way to live that helps our prayers. And so are you dwelling with your wife with understanding for the purpose of communion with the Lord going well? And so in closing, and if someone could run and grab the children and bring them in for the last song, that would be great. But uh, in, in closing, when, husbands, was the last time you led your wife in prayer? Leading her as the spiritual leader, as Ephesians 5 says, you know, as I have couples come in to get marriage counseling, um, you know, I'll ask them, do you pray with your wife? Do you kneel by your bed and pray? You know, do you have a regular prayer time? When was the last time you even prayed with her? Do you read the word to your wife, men? And so often, you know, people will be going to other sources and other books, but not reading the word of God. And husbands don't bring their wives before the throne of grace where there is grace for husband and wife, where there's mercy for being the wrong kind of husband and the wrong kind of wife. Bring your wives before the throne of grace. If you don't read to her, read to her. Wash her in the word. I'm not saying preach a sermon to her. I'm saying read the scripture over her. It's the sharp double-edged sword. It's able to discern the thoughts and tents of the heart. It's able to change you and your wife. And bring her before the throne of grace. When you pray together, there's unity within your marriage like no other. Just like in the early church, when the early church would gather to pray, it says they were all together in one accord. And so when we pray with our wives, there's unity that takes place in our home. But husbands, if you're not dwelling with your wives, and if you're not dwelling with your wives with understanding, your prayers will be hindered. Philip says it, if you don't do this, you'll find it impossible to pray properly. And to close tonight, and Tammy, you can come on up. Wayne Grudem's commentary puts it this way. So concerned is God that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their wives that he interrupts his relationship with them when they are not doing so. No Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective ministry of prayer. And no husband may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way, bestowing honor on her. To take the time to develop and maintain a good marriage is God's will. It is serving God. It is a spiritual activity pleasing in his sight. So let's worship. Let's receive correction tonight. Let's repent. And where we've fallen short and it's been made evident in us tonight, husbands, something was spoken to you. Wives, something was spoken to you. Lean over and confess that to your spouse. Ask for forgiveness. Pray for one another. And let's receive the power that that uh, will make this type of husband and wife relationship possible. Let's go ahead and stand, and Tammy, go ahead and lead us.
Lord God, we thank you for your mercy. All the ways that we have failed our wives as husbands and all the ways that wives have fallen short of your glory in uh, submission and reverence and Lord, I just think of um, the folks in this room that just have been through rough marriages and folks in this room that are divorced, Lord. And we just thank you that they're not second-class Christians here, Lord. We just know their hearts are in submission to your word. And, and Lord, those that maybe aren't, Lord, that you just bring them into submission to your word. and Lord, that you would just comfort and encourage those that have maybe failed in so many of these areas and perhaps it ended in um, just the severance of that tie, Lord. Others that are married right now and, and they're, they're just on that track towards separation or divorce. People in our church, God, that are not dwelling with one another and prayers that are hindered. Lord, we just pray for just an outpouring of your spirit on our marriages, Lord. Lord, that your word would just dwell richly in husbands and wives and all wisdom. And Lord, that as they're full with your spirit, Lord, they would sing and teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Lord, that they would submit to one another in love. And Lord, that they would walk in the roles that you've ordained for them. We just think of the recordings that have gone out and people from our church and people from other towns listening to uh, this marriage series, Lord, and just, just broader than what's been happening in this room, Lord. We just pray for those marriages that there'd be healing, Lord. There'd be restoration. There'd be forgiveness. And Lord, we thank you that because of the gospel, just what once was in the garden can be approximated by the forgiveness in your blood and the power in your spirit. And so, Lord, take us back as close as can be to the Garden of Eden state, Lord. And we look forward to that day when we'll see you face to face and it will fully be that again, Lord. Paradise, walking with God. Continue to work in us even as we go home. Foster discussion with one another from what we've learned tonight. Thank you for the motivation and the power that comes in the gospel, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.